kindness and forgiveness to us. May we be reminded of these things this morning so we can have patience and gentleness with those in our lives. Keep us from distractions as we're guided to your word by your spirit. Your blessings are never ending. Good morning. Mike is on. It's a good thing because I have a soft voice. Uh, so uh, we get to uh, look at a, a great passage here this morning. Uh, as you as you just heard, it's it's a, a little bit short, but it is packed. Um, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Josh, and I am one of the the pastors here. Uh, I don't get up here very often, so if this doesn't go well, give me a little grace. But no, it should should be all right. Uh, we'll see how much of this we can get through. Um, I'm happy to share the text with you today uh, as God's Word. Uh, it is a blessing and uh, an important time uh, for us each week. So I wanted to start off today with the question, what are the happiest and best moments of your life? What sticks out to you from the past five years, one year, week, uh, or, or longer? Uh, this, this Thursday, uh, we had a, a men's meeting in the, um, in the lobby there, and uh, we talked about journaling through peaks and valleys of life. That might be something you're familiar with. Um, it's, it's an exercise that uh, John Tyson, he's a pastor in New York City, he wrote something called the Intentional Father. Um, it's, it's an exercise he has uh, his readers do. And, uh, but yeah, what, what comes to mind? A wedding, a birth of a child, completion of a degree, kind of a pinnacle in a, in a career, um, an unforgettable vacation. Um, so this isn't uh, the most significant peak in our lives, but uh, I wanted to to share one from our family this week. Um, can you go to the, there we go. See, there you go. We are talking about joy and blessing today. Uh, and so I think there's a little ball of joy in your hearts that just wanted to, to burst. Uh, this is Lily. She has been a little bit of a pain this week, but um, including right before I tried to get here. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, th- I think this is Lily anyway. We're, we're still arguing about the name. Um, but she's eight weeks old. We love her. Um, she is uh, a blessing so far to, to our family. Um, our kids have been asking for a dog for years, uh, and, and we've been kind of considering it more and more over the last six months. Uh, as a family, like, we all feel like that little girl Agnes in Despicable Me, if you've seen those movies, and she's at that theme park, and she looks up at the, this fluffy, big unicorn toy, and she's like, it's so fluffy, I could die. Um, that's, that's kind of our family. Uh, and so uh, our oldest son, Caden, um, he, he could spend a whole day just sitting next to the dog. Um, so hopefully Lily is kind of his uh, therapy dog, and she might be mine too. Um, so we picked Picked her up on Monday on the way home. Uh, our kids, Caden, our, our, our sons, Caden and Didier, in the 
the very back uh, and, the, and the puppies in between them. And my wife, Jen, she's a little bit stressed at this point. Um, she was the, the last holdout on this decision. Um, and she looks back at, at the back seat and says to the boys and looks at Caden, remember, this is a big commitment. And to give you a little per, uh, insight into our kids' personalities, Caden is just defiant. And he's like, no, this is not a big commitment. And then Didi, our younger son, very different. He says, with his eyes big, just big face, yeah, this is not a big commitment. This is a fun commitment. I don't even know what commitment means. So, if you don't know our kids, that's a little glimpse into our lives. Um, So, yeah, coming back to the idea of joy, of blessing, uh, what what are those, those moments in your life that stick out? Um, and this psalm here, Psalm 67, this is not talking about, you know, temporary happiness. This is not talking about little bits of happiness that you get with a puppy or with um, uh, an, a super enjoyable uh, meal or, or something like that. Uh, this is talking about meaningful, lasting, deep joy, happiness, blessing. Uh, and, and ultimately the whole purpose of God. So I've, I've titled this uh, message, Extravagant Blessing for Extravagant Glory. Uh, I stole that actually from David Platt, uh, as Justin mentioned him earlier. Um, and I kind of thought it was, it was a joke two weeks ago when Wes was preaching, not because he was preaching, but because uh, he said when he was going through Psalm 65 that Psalm 67 was the last one in a group of uh, in, in a group of psalms uh, that had its greatest and loudest crescendo of praise and glory and joy, and I realized they give it to me. And uh, so, you know, it, they probably did that as a joke on me. But um, anyway, we'll we'll give it a shot here. Um, I don't express much face-wise in general, so I can be the happiest person in the world, and you might not even know it, and that's just a disclaimer. So my wife has definitely learned this. Um, So enough with uh, the intro and the emotional stuff, but here's the facts. Start us off. Uh, Psalm 67, remember, we're, we're walking through songs. We're walking through passages that are that are meant to corporately express truth and the feelings of God's people. Sometimes those are raw. Sometimes those don't even seem right. Um, in this particular case, uh, this psalm is all about the uh, expressions and feelings of praise and exalting God in the highest manner. And uh, we often expect David to be the writer of the psalms, but this is one... Uh, that he did not write, so just um, wanted to point that out. Um, this psalm is, is small, and in many ways it is simple, but there is a lot here. Uh, and if we all spoke biblical Hebrew, which all of us don't, uh, we would quickly pick up on the structure as we would hear this. It's, it's written in a poetic chiasm, which means like verse 1 and verse 7 are kind of the bookends, and then verse 2 and verse 6 and, and uh, verse 3 
uh, and verse 5 are kind of mirroring each other in a way. And then verse 4 is the central verse in the passage. Um, can we get that? I don't know if that, uh, Psalm 67 is there again. There it is. So verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. That's where we're going today. Uh, this passage is so significant in, in Scripture in many ways because it really highlights the overarching theme and message of the Bible. Um, John Piper wrote a book called Let the Nations Be Glad, and it was very much a, a missions-focused uh, book, and, and maybe that's the way you read this passage. Um, there's more here than that, but we will get there. So let's break this up into three different sections. First one, I wanted to go through the person of God as revealed here in Psalm 67. God alone is the Savior. He, is alone, he alone is the judge. He alone is the king. Um, if, you, if you sometimes have trouble reading the Bible or understanding the meaning uh, of a particular passage in the Bible, um, sometimes the most important observations are the simple ones that are right there in front of us. Um, so here, just if, if we look at this, uh, this passage, just look at the words you, the word your, yours. Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Verse 3 and verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let, the peoples, let all the peoples praise you. And in verse 4, for you judge the peoples with equity. You guide the nations upon the earth. The writer of this psalm is speaking to the one and true and only God. God is not the God of any or all other religions. There is no other. He is the one. And there are lots of God options for people to to worship and follow in in this day as well as there is today. And this is a really simple point, but extremely important to understanding this psalm. Sometimes we we should also pay attention to what is not said And the writer of this psalm does not say, let the nations become sincere worshipers of their own gods, since all gods are the same. If the psalm said that, our time, honestly, would be better served this morning than gathering here and hearing from the Bible and from from this message. For today we eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow we die. But if this is true, there is so much... more meaning to our lives. Because this is true, mission work and church planting are so crucial to Christianity and the unfolding of history. It's not presumptuous for us to take this gospel message to anyone and to everyone, even though we could certainly end up doing that in an arrogant way. And in some ways we have. I know I have. But in all humility and love and thanks, we worship We are granted to worship. We are graced to worship the one true living God who is revealed to us in this word. 
So no matter the cultural and religious context that we're in, I, I feel like we need to, to distinguish between what is true and what is not true about God. When I was in college here, which is becoming an older and older memory uh, of, of mine, um, I, I did a business degree at the U, and I took a Book of Mormon class at the Institute, which is right next to the business school, uh, partly to get free parking uh, during those business classes, but also I wanted to engage um, a relationship with, with a, an LDS classmate of mine and, and to learn more about what he believed. Uh, during that time, um, that semester's course, I remember digging into topics like justification and regeneration, words that are actually commonly used in both of our theologies. Um, but I learned through that that we have different meanings attached to them. And when I talked to him, uh, it honestly kind of shocked me, but does he, he grew up here in Utah. His, his family is, it dates back to the pioneer days, um, and, and he did his two-year mission here in the U.S., um, and in a more evangelical place than what we find here uh, in Utah. Uh, but I, I realized that he had never heard the gospel that I believed, despite uh, his, his life experience up to that point. And, and that was significant to me. We had different understandings of who God is, what God's like, what he has done, even though in some ways and to some extent there's a shared history, uh, there's some shared vocabulary. Uh, and so whether it's in this context where we are in Utah or a totally different context um, in the U.S. or beyond, I think we need to, to dig in and kind of distinguish between who is the God that we worship. This, God, this psalm speaks of the same God who created the world, who created you, who created me, who saw all of humanity fall into sin, but who, he had a plan from the beginning to bring salvation to the world. And if we moved into the New Testament, Jesus said in John 14 that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. And Jesus said, if you had known me, you would also know my Father. And in Matthew 22, Jesus spoke sternly to the Sadducees, who were some of the most committed and knowledgeable religious leaders of that day, saying, you were wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Church of the Valley is not here to provide another religious option for people to choose from. Our church's goal and prayer, just as Psalm 67 explains, is that the one true and living God be worshipped, praised, exalted, known, loved, and cherished. And that should be our prayer and our mission. So let's move to the blessing of God. Uh, some of you may, may know this name, but uh, a man named Blaise Pascal, in, uh, who lived in the 1600s. Um, you might know him uh, if you've heard of him before, because he, uh, I believe, created the, the mechanical calculator, which gets some of us nerds excited. Um, but later in his life, when he discovered Christ, he became a Christian philosopher, 
And, and he said this, All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Whether life is apparently going really well or whether we're battling significant depression or anything in between, we're all pursuing happiness. It's part of the essence of how we're made. And some things don't make me happy, like snakes. Um, I was never really into Harry Potter, but I went to see one Harry Potter movie in the theater and... I will just never go again. Um, as if any of you are familiar with, with that series, you know which, which one I happen to go to, and I should not. Um, yesterday, I pursued happiness by riding my bike up to Snowbird. And some of you might be thinking, what's your problem? What's... And I used to think the same thing as I drive my car up the canyon and, and look over at the guy going five miles an hour on his bike, just painfully making his way up the mountain. And I still haven't figured out what's wrong with them because I became one of them and I have the same problem. But it brings me happiness to get to the top, to, to experience the fresh air, to, um, to have that experience. Today we often equate this English word of blessing with the word happiness. We say someone's blessed if they're healthy, they're successful, they're smart, they're lucky, or they're wealthy. But that's not really how the Bible talks about blessing. If we look back at verse 1 here, if, if, if we were of the original readers or singers of, of this psalm, we would immediately, in our memory, go back to Numbers 6, 24 to 26, and in the NIV, it says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. I remember hearing this over and over growing up in the Lutheran church uh, as a benediction. And it has a nice ring to it. It's, it seems like something you'd put on a piece of furniture and hang in your entryway. And, and that, that's not wrong. Um, in the Old Testament, people would hear the priests say this over them. But it's not like we're just asking God to be nice to us. Asking for God's blessing in this way is to ask God, one, to not give you what you deserve, and two, to give you what you don't deserve. It's like saying in our sin, please don't punish me, Lord like I deserve, and please give me your kindness and your love. And, and you think about that, it's, it's kind of baffling. Asking for God's face to shine on us is like asking for the God of the universe to smile when he looks at us. Now when I, when I saw, when I read that, when I pondered this, I, I thought of Jesus when he got baptized and, and the dove came down and, and rested on him and, and the Father spoke from heaven, this is my son whom I love, 
with him I am well pleased. This is, this is what uh, that passage is, is alluding to. Psalm 67 is also rooted in covenant. The song is written at a time that's hundreds or maybe even thousands of years after the story of Abraham, and it's also hundreds of years before Jesus. And if you remember at all from Genesis 12, God first called Abraham out of the land he was living in and led him to the land of Canaan. Genesis 12, 1-3 says this, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you, make you into a great nation. I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the significant starting point of this covenant that, um, that we see brought into this psalm of praise in Psalm 67. And just to kind of continue the story a little bit through the Old Testament, we see in Exodus, God miraculously delivers the Israelites from slavery. And one thing he said was that he would receive glory by means of destroying Pharaoh and his army so that the Egyptians would know that he is the Lord. In Deuteronomy, God gave his law to Israel and said to carefully follow the statutes and ordinances, for this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the peoples. Following the law was meant to show God's goodness and wisdom and display that glory, that that goodness uh, and that wisdom to the surrounding nations, to, the, to the, uh, the peoples of the world. And then when Joshua was leading the people of Israel into the land and took the city of Jericho, and we have that story of them marching for days around the city of Jericho and, and uh, proclaiming uh, by means of music, God said to not take the men who are trained for war to take the city, but he sent the musicians. And so no offense to any musicians among us, but our trumpets, our drums, our guitars uh, don't typically cause our enemies to wave the white flag. But God did it in this way specifically so that he would get the glory among the nations. There's many other passages speaking of God's blessing to Israel and to his people. But let's look at one here in Isaiah 43 and the way God speaks. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. 
I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. And then we have this psalm, Psalm 67, which sits sits hundreds of years prior to Christ. The writer of this song asks for God's blessing upon the people of God. This is definitely a spiritual blessing, if, if you haven't picked up on that yet. Because the, the, the request is for God's grace and God's kindness. But it's likely also a material one to some extent. Because of verse 6. Even though those material blessings in many ways, in most ways, are probably not going to be realized until the kingdom comes in fullness when Jesus returns. So fast forward to the time of Christ. When you think of blessing. Matthew 5, when Jesus was speaking the Sermon on the Mount. If you think that the blessing of God is primarily material, or even similar to the blessing of the world, consider again. Jesus says that the blessed are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Jesus said, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Let these kind of passages inform our understanding of blessing. So back to the idea of happiness. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus endured the cross to perfect our faith because he saw and he knew the joy that was set before him. Those are the words in that passage. That's incredible. Today we live in such a largely comfortable, rich peaceful time in history, at least for now. And it's easy for us to be lulled into the world's pursuit and understanding of happiness, joy, and blessing. So let's move to the final point. Blessing has a purpose. When Tim Keller preached on this passage, he said that God never blesses you except that you might be a blessing to others. Now, I definitely think that there is a certain end in itself that, of God blessing us because he wants our adoration, our devotion, our worship. He, he wants us. He wants our worship. But there is definitely truth to what Keller is saying if we, if we consider the words of Scripture Think about the Israelites when they were in the wilderness and God gave them manna from heaven. If they gathered more than they would need, God said, only gather every day what you need for you and your family. But if they gathered more, it would rot. And, and that's what it's like with us when we hoard things, when we don't give of ourselves and we just take and amass things. Think about it with your kids. If you give them exactly what they want with no boundaries and just give and give and give to them, they're 
probably going to end up pretty rotten. Uh, Jen, my wife, gives me a hard time about this because I'm always the one who's like, let's get this for the kids. And let, um, so she's always giving me a hard time. But, so this was convicting. But the point is this. God blesses you. God blesses us to send us out. God blesses you so that you would be a blessing to others. Think about that covenant with Abraham. God blessed Abraham greatly. He promised that to Abraham And through Abraham, all the peoples on the earth would be blessed. God wasn't just being nice to Abraham. There was a much greater purpose at play. The blessing of God is intended to spread through you and me. God gave us the gospel so that others would know and experience and treasure the gospel. In this psalm, we see a lot of language about nations, peoples. Uh, The psalm actually uses three Hebrew words uh, interchangeably to to describe um, what we would say are tribes, clans, and ethnic groups. And it's estimated, depending on what you read, and depending on how we break people into these categories, there's probably two billion people or more who have never heard the gospel or have access to the gospel. We've seen that God's intention from the beginning was to bless, gather, and redeem peoples from all over the earth, but Israel didn't often see it this way. God's plan for salvation includes thousands of years of devotion to a particular people, Israel. But then God's plan is for that to unfold into all the world. And my guess is that most of us, if not all of us in this room today, are recipients of this blessing of God deciding to take salvation to the world. Take salvation beyond the people of Israel and to bless the Gentiles, to bless every people in the world. Remember the Great Commission in Matthew 28 where Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of every nation. And Paul said in Galatians 3 that Jesus died on the cross so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And it can feel very difficult even after years of studying the Bible, it can be very difficult to truly grasp and understand why God did things this way. Why did he organize his plan of redemption in this way? And that's why Paul wrote Romans 11. He calls the whole plan, in some ways, a mystery. He says in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he would be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. When I was thinking and praying and preparing for this message, I had so many stories and illustrations that came to mind. And to be honest with you, I was a bit frustrated when I prepared this because it felt like none of those things like really fit in as I tried to organize this and and communicate the Word of God here today. Um, 
But one, one area that, that has come to mind recently, and, and it's, it's not a, a new thing in our, our day now, but the war between Ukraine and Russia. Part of my family generations ago uh, was actually living and working in Russian territory that is now called Ukraine. They were Germans, but they were living in that area and they were farming. Um, and they ultimately, many or, or most of them, uh, migrated away and many to the, to the U.S. because of Russian oppression. And they chose the wonderful mountainous area of North Dakota. Um, North Dakota is like the flattest place I've ever seen, just seen. Um, but because of what's happening today, and, and we get so much media intake, whether we realize it or not, um, the story that's being formed for us is, is for us to sympathize with Ukraine, to put out a flag or change colors and something on our house, or, um, but to support the Ukrainian people, to support the military, to pray for safety and freedom, and in some cases um, to even pray and support the church in Ukraine. And I'm not saying that any of that really is, is wrong. It can be very good and very right. But what I feel like is missing is what about the people of God praying for and caring for and reaching the people of God in Russia? What about God's work amongst those people? It's almost as if we've allowed this external media story to kind of essentially develop a distrust and hatred of Russia to rule our hearts. And we've forgotten that God actually intends great things by his spirit there. Our human plan is to take the country out of the hands of a dictator. But God's plan is to bring about a work of salvation among many peoples, including Russian peoples, including Ukrainian peoples. And one day we will be singing God's praises alongside them. Ever since God took hold of my life, I feel like it's always been part of my story, that God desires to, to use me and move me in directions that bring the gospel to other nations, other peoples. And one thing I desire to do, and I not that tech savvy, but I wanted to kind of put a, a map of the globe and kind of just pinpoint all the different places and peoples that, that God has, um, has connected us with in some way, shape, or form, regardless of our intentions to, to seek to make the gospel known there. But we have personally seen people come to faith in Christ here in Salt Lake, in Seattle, and in East Asia places outside of the U.S. that have been impacted by the gospel, either because of our family's intentional mission or because we have chosen to support certain missionaries in the world. Japan, China, Taiwan, Philippines, Nicaragua, Sierra Leone, Costa Rica, Tanzania, Ukraine, and India. There might be more. I, I think I got them, but... but I'm baffled by how large the list gets if we just if I just start to include people from other places in the world where we 
didn't have any intention to spread the gospel or, or reach them with the, the, the truth of, of God. Um, but just... God's plan is so much bigger than we realize. And my point in telling you these things is not to say, oh, look how great this person is or or our work is. God's plan is huge. And he intends to use you. He intends to use us to make himself known and treasured all over the world. And so my prayer and my goal is that uh, our, our gaze would, would just be expanded, broadened to the work that God is doing, whether we realize it or not, even in spite of us sometimes. So let's look at Revelation 7. I can't remember if we put this one on the screen or not, but Revelation 7, verse 9 and 10. The writer John says this, After this I looked, there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. This is our future. Jesus told Peter sometime before his death that he will build his church. Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus also told his disciples that the end would not come, that Jesus would not come back until the task of making disciples in every nation is complete. Matthew 24, 14 says this, This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, I'm not going to get into end times theology theology and and, uh, those topics here. Because God could deem that day to be tomorrow. We don't get to define when or to what extent or how the gospel is considered sufficiently proclaimed to all the nations. But what we do know is that today it seems like there are billions of people who have never heard the gospel. There are hundreds of unreached peoples in the world. And so it appears that we still have a lot of work ahead of us to truly preach the gospel to all nations. So as we close today, one of my questions is, how will you, how will we be a blessing to others because of the goodness, kindness, and justice of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ because it has so radically changed you? How will you be a blessing in all that you are? How will you be a blessing in all that God has given to you so that the gospel would go forward in every corner of the earth. Maybe you don't have an exact thought come to mind and how that's going to happen. But but that's the that's the challenge. That's the that's the question today. If God has promised the end result, why would we not take the steps and the risks to join in the mission of God? 
Why would we not tell the message? Why would we not proclaim and praise this God as revealed in Jesus Christ? Shouldn't we have such greater confidence in the mission of the church that God has put us on because of what we see in God's word today? Maybe some of you have possibly weighed a calling of God to take the gospel to a particular place or particular people that's been void of the gospel or, or just in need of, of that message. Um, and I would love to pray that with you. I would love to help surface what God wants to do with, with you. Um, our pastors, our leaders would, would love to engage that conversation with you. But if that's not your calling, that's totally okay because there's so many ways we are the people of God here in Utah, in this valley. Church of the Valley, we are a small, um, just people of God here that, that the Lord wants to do so much with. Um, and he will use us to, to reach the nations and peoples of the earth, whether or not we take a step outside this country or not. There are so many ways that we can serve to advance God's mission to the peoples of the earth by investing here, by investing in our neighborhoods, by investing in our workplaces, and by investing in the places of this valley. In some ways, the Lord has brought some of the nations to us. So finally, pray with us as we consider how the Lord would desire to see Church of the Valley, strategically invest in evangelism and church planting among places in the world that are largely void of the gospel. This is a topic that, that, we've, uh, that we've discussed, and we'd love to identify where to partner, how to invest, and, and join in many more ways uh, of the mission that God has put before us.